section seventeen of essays book three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Essays, Book Three, by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Of the Art of Conference, Part Two. Dignities and offices are of necessity conferred more by fortune than upon the account of merit and we are often to blame to condemn kings when these are misplaced on the contrary tis a wonder they should have so good luck where there is so little skill principis est virtus maxima nosse suos tis the chief virtue of a prince to know his people marshall eight fifteen for nature has not given them a sight that can extend to so many people to discern which excels the rest nor to penetrate into our bosoms where the knowledge of our wills and best value lies they must choose us by conjecture and by groping by the family wealth learning and the voice of the people which are all very feeble arguments whoever could find out a way by which they might judge by justice and choose men by reason would in this one thing establish a perfect form of government ay but he brought that great affair to a very good pass this is indeed to say something but not to say enough for this sentence is justly received that we are not to judge of counsels by events the carthaginians punished the ill counsels of their captains though they were rectified by a successful issue and the roman people often denied a triumph for great and very advantageous victories because the conduct of their general was not answerable to his good fortune we ordinarily see in the actions of the world that fortune to shew us her power in all things and who takes a pride in abating our presumption seeing she could not make fools wise has made them fortunate in emulation of virtue and most favours those operations the web of which is most purely her own whence it is that the simplest amongst us bring to pass great business both public and private and as cyramnes the persian answered those who wondered that his affairs succeeded so ill considering that his deliberations were so wise that he was the sole master of his designs but that success was wholly in the power of fortune these may answer the same but with a contrary turn most worldly affairs are performed by themselves 
fata viam inveniunt the destinies find the way aeneid three three hundred ninety five the event often justifies a very foolish conduct our interposition is little more than as it were a running on by rote and more commonly a consideration of custom and example than of reason being formerly astonished at the greatness of some affair i have been made acquainted with their motives and address by those who had performed it and have found nothing in it but very ordinary counsels and the most common and usual are indeed perhaps the most sure and convenient for practice if not for show what if the plainest reasons are the best seated the meanest lowest and most beaten more adapted to affairs to maintain the authority of the councils of kings it needs not that profane persons should participate of them or see further into them than the outmost barrier he who will husband its reputation must be reverenced upon credit and taken altogether my consultation somewhat rough hues the matter and considers it lightly by the first face it presents the stress and main of the business i have been wont to refer to heaven permite divis caetera leave the rest to the gods horace odes one nine nine good and ill fortune are in my opinion two sovereign powers tis folly to think that human prudence can play the part of fortune and vain is his attempt who presumes to comprehend both causes and consequences and by the hand to conduct the progress of his design and most especially vain in the deliberations of war there was never greater circumspection and military prudence than sometimes is seen amongst us can it be that men are afraid to lose themselves by the way that they reserve themselves to the end of the game i moreover affirm that our wisdom itself and consultation for the most part commit themselves to the conduct of chance my will and my reason are sometimes moved by one breath and sometimes by another and many of these movements there are that govern themselves without me my reason has uncertain and casual agitations and impulsions vertuntur species animorum et pectora motus nunc alios alios dum nubila ventus agebat concipiunt the aspects of their minds change and they conceive now such ideas now such just so long as the wind agitated the clouds virgil georgicon one forty two let a man but observe who are of greatest authority in cities and who best do their own business 
we shall find that they are commonly men of the least parts women children and madmen have had the fortune to govern great kingdoms equally well with the wisest princes and thucydides says that the stupid more ordinarily do it than those of better understandings we attribute the effects of their good fortune to their prudence ut quisque fortuna utitur ita praecelit atque exinde sapere illum omnes dicimus he makes his way who knows how to use fortune and thereupon we all call him wise plautus pseudolus two three thirteen wherefore i say unreservedly events are a very poor testimony of our worth and parts now i was upon this point that there needs no more but to see a man promoted to dignity though we knew him but three days before a man of little regard yet an image of grandeur of sufficiency insensibly steals into our opinion and we persuade ourselves that being augmented in reputation and train he is also increased in merit we judge of him not according to his worth but as we do by counters according to the prerogative of his place if it happen so that he fall again and be mixed with the common crowd every one inquires with amazement into the cause of his having been raised so high is this he say they was he no wiser when he was there do princes satisfy themselves with so little truly we were in good hands this is a thing that i have often seen in my time nay even the very disguise of grandeur represented in our comedies in some sort moves and gulls us that which i myself adore in kings is the crowd of their adorers all reverence and submission are due to them except that of the understanding my reason is not obliged to bow and bend my knees are melanthius being asked what he thought of the tragedy of dionysius i could not see it said he it was so clouded with language so most of those who judge of the discourses of great men ought to say i did not understand his words they were so clouded with gravity grandeur and majesty antisthenes one day tried to persuade the athenians to give order that their asses might be employed in tilling the ground as well as the horses were to which it was answered that that animal was not destined for such a service that's all one replied he you have only to order it for the most ignorant and incapable men you employ in the commands of your wars incontinently become worthy enough because you employ them to which the custom of so many people who canonize the king they have chosen out of their own body 
and are not content only to honour but must adore them comes very near those of mexico after the ceremonies of their king's coronation are over dare no more look him in the face but as if they had deified him by his royalty amongst the oaths they make him take to maintain their religion their laws and liberties to be valiant just and mild he moreover swears to make the sun run his course in his wonted light to drain the clouds at fit seasons to make rivers run their course and to cause the earth to bear all things necessary for his people i differ from this common fashion and am more apt to suspect the capacity when i see it accompanied with that grandeur of fortune and public applause we are to consider of what advantage it is to speak when a man pleases to choose his subject to interrupt or change it with a magisterial authority to protect himself from the oppositions of others by a nod a smile or silence in the presence of an assembly that trembles with reverence and respect a man of a prodigious fortune coming to give his judgment upon some slight dispute that was foolishly set on foot at his table began in these words it can be no other but a liar or a fool that will say otherwise than so and so pursue this philosophical point with a dagger in your hand there is another observation i have made from which i draw great advantage which is that in conferences and disputes every word that seems to be good is not immediately to be accepted most men are rich in borrowed sufficiency a man may say a good thing give a good answer cite a good sentence without at all seeing the force of either the one or the other that a man may not understand all he borrows may perhaps be verified in myself a man must not always presently yield what truth or beauty soever may seem to be in the opposite argument either he must stoutly meet it or retire under colour of not understanding it to try on all parts how it is lodged in the author it may happen that we entangle ourselves and help to strengthen the point itself i have sometimes in the necessity and heat of the combat made answers that have gone through and through beyond my expectation or hope i only gave them in number they were received in weight as when i contend with a vigorous man i please myself with anticipating his conclusions i ease him of the trouble of explaining himself i strive to forestall his imagination whilst it is yet springing and imperfect 
the order and pertinency of his understanding warn and threaten me afar off i deal quite contrary with the others i must understand and presuppose nothing but by them if they determine in general words this is good that is not and that they happen to be in the right see if it be not fortune that hits it off for them let them a little circumscribe and limit their judgment why or how it is so these universal judgments that i see so common signify nothing these are men who salute a whole people in a crowd together they who have a real acquaintance take notice of and salute them individually and by name but tis a hazardous attempt and from which i have more than every day seen it fall out that weak understandings having a mind to appear ingenious in taking notice as they read a book of what is best and most to be admired fix their admiration upon some thing so very ill chosen that instead of making us discern the excellence of the author they make us very well see their own ignorance this exclamation is safe that is fine after having heard a whole page of virgil by that the cunning sort save themselves but to undertake to follow him line by line and with an expert and tried judgment to observe where a good author excels himself weighing the words phrases inventions and his various excellences one after another keep aloof from that videndum est non modo quid quisque loquatur sed etiam quid quisque sentiat atque etiam qua de causa quisque sentiat a man is not only to examine what every one says but also what every one thinks and from what reason every one thinks cicero deofficiis one forty one i every day hear fools say things that are not foolish they say a good thing let us examine how far they understand it whence they have it and what they mean by it we help them to make use of this fine expression of this fine sentence which is none of theirs they only have it in keeping they have bolted it out at a venture we place it for them in credit and esteem you lend them your hand to what purpose they do not think themselves obliged to you for it and become more inept still don't help them let them alone they will handle the matter like people who are afraid of burning their fingers they dare change neither its seat nor light nor break into it shake it never so little it slips through their fingers they give it up be it never so strong or fair they are fine weapons 
but ill hafted how many times have i seen the experience of this now if you come to explain anything to them and to confirm them they catch at it and presently rob you of the advantage of your interpretation it was what i was about to say it was just my idea if i did not express it so it was for want of language mere wind malice itself must be employed to correct this arrogant ignorance the dogma of hegesias that we are neither to hate nor accuse but instruct is correct elsewhere but here tis injustice and inhumanity to relieve and set him right who stands in no need on't and is the worse for it i love to let them step deeper into the mire and so deep that if it be possible they may at last discern their error folly and absurdity are not to be cured by bare admonition and what cyrus answered to him who importuned him to harangue his army upon the point of battle that men do not become valiant and warlike upon a sudden by a fine oration no more than a man becomes a good musician by hearing a fine song may properly be said of such an admonition as this these are apprenticeships that are to be served beforehand by a long and continued education we owe this care and this assiduity of correction and instruction to our own people but to go preach to the first passer-by and to become tutor to the ignorance and folly of the first we meet is a thing that i abhor i rarely do it even in private conversation and rather give up the whole thing than proceed to these initiatory and school instructions my humour is unfit either to speak or write for beginners but for things that are said in common discourse or amongst other things i never oppose them either by word or sign how false or absurd soever as to the rest nothing vexes me so much in folly as that it is more satisfied with itself than any reason can reasonably be tis unfortunate that prudence forbids us to satisfy and trust ourselves and always dismisses us timorous and discontented whereas obstinacy and temerity fill those who are possessed with them with joy and assurance tis for the most ignorant to look at other men over the shoulder always returning from the combat full of joy and triumph and moreover for the most part this arrogance of speech and gaiety of countenance gives them the better of it in the opinion of the audience which is commonly weak and incapable of well judging and discerning the real advantage obstinacy of opinion and heat 
in argument are the surest proofs of folly is there anything so assured resolute disdainful contemplative serious and grave as the ass may we not include under the title of conference and communication the quick and sharp repartees which mirth and familiarity introduce amongst friends pleasantly and wittily jesting and rallying with one another tis an exercise for which my natural gaiety renders me fit enough and which if it be not so tense and serious as the other i spoke of but now is as lycurgus thought no less smart and ingenious nor of less utility for my part i contribute to it more liberty than wit and have therein more of luck than invention but i am perfect in suffering for i endure a retaliation that is not only tart but indiscreet to boot without being moved at all and whoever attacks me if i have not a brisk answer immediately ready i do not study to pursue the point with a tedious and impertinent contest bordering upon obstinacy but let it pass and hanging down cheerfully my ears defer my revenge to another and better time there is no merchant that always gains most men change their countenance and their voice where their wits fail and by an unseasonable anger instead of revenging themselves accuse at once their own folly and impatience in this jollity we sometimes pinch the secret strings of our imperfections which at another and graver time we cannot touch without offence and so profitably give one another a hint of our defects there are other judiments practical jokes rude and indiscreet after the french manner that i mortally hate my skin is very tender and sensible i have in my time seen two princes of the blood buried upon that very account tis unhandsome to fight in play as to the rest when i have a mind to judge of any one i ask him how far he is contented with himself to what degree his speaking or his work pleases him i will none of these fine excuses i did it only in sport ablatum mediis opus est incudibus istud that work was taken from the anvil half finished ovid tristia one six twenty nine i was not an hour about it i have never looked at it since well then say i lay these aside and give me a perfect one such as you would be measured by and then what do you think is the best thing in your work is it this part or that is it grace or the matter 
the invention, the judgment, or the learning. For I find that men are, commonly, as wide of the mark in judging of their own works as of those of others, not only by reason of the kindness they have for them, but for want of capacity to know and distinguish them. The work, by its own force and fortune, may second the workman, and sometimes outstrip him, beyond his invention and knowledge. For my part, I judge of the value of other men's works more obscurely than of my own, and place the essays, now high or low, with great doubt and inconstancy. There are several books that are useful upon the account of their subjects, from which the author derives no praise, and good books, as well as good works, that shame the workman. I may write the manner of our feasts, and the fashion of our clothes, and may write them ill. I may publish the edicts of my time, and the letters of princes that pass from hand to hand. I may make an abridgment of a good book, and every abridgment of a good book is a foolish abridgment, which book shall come to be lost, and so on. Posterity will derive a singular utility from such compositions. But what honour shall I have unless by great good fortune? Most part of the famous books are of this condition. When I read Philippe de Comina, doubtless a very good author, several years ago, I there took notice of this for no vulgar saying, that a man must have a care not to do his master so great service that at last he will not know how to give him his just reward. But I ought to commend the invention, not him, because I met with it in Tacitus not long since. Beneficia ea usque laeta sunt dum videntur exolvi posse, ubi multum ante venere pro gratis odium reditur. Benefits are so far acceptable as they appear to be capable of recompense. Where they much exceed that point, hatred is returned instead of thanks. Tacitus Annales 4. 18. And Seneca vigorously says, Nam qui putat esse turpe non redere, non vult esse cui redat. For he who thinks it a shame not to requite, does not wish to have the man live to whom he owes return. Seneca, Epistle 81. Quintus Cicero says with less directness, Qui se non putat satisfacere, amicus esse nullo modo potest. Who thinks himself behind in obligation, can by no means be a friend. Quintus Cicero, De Petitione Consulatus, Chapter 9 The subject according to what it is, may make a man looked upon as learned, 
and of good memory but to judge in him the parts that are most his own and the most worthy the vigour and beauty of his soul one must first know what is his own and what is not and in that which is not his own how much we are obliged to him for the choice disposition ornament and language he has there presented us with what if he has borrowed the matter and spoiled the form as it often falls out we who are little read in books are in this strait that when we meet with a high fancy in some new poet or some strong argument in a preacher we dare not nevertheless commend it till we have first informed ourselves through some learned man if it be the writer's wit or borrowed from some other until that i always stand upon my guard i have lately been reading the history of tacitus quite through without interrupting it with anything else which but seldom happens with me it being twenty years since i have kept to any one book an hour together and i did it at the instance of a gentleman for whom france has a great esteem as well for his own particular worth as upon the account of a constant form of capacity and virtue which runs through a great many brothers of them i do not know any author in a public narrative who mixes so much consideration of manners and particular inclinations and i am of a quite contrary opinion to him holding that having especially to follow the lives of the emperors of his time so various and extreme in all sorts of forms so many notable actions as their cruelty especially produced in their subjects he had a stronger and more attractive matter to treat of than if he had had to describe battles and universal commotions so that i often find him sterile running over those brave deaths as if he feared to trouble us with their multitude and length this form of history is by much the most useful public movements depend most upon the conduct of fortune private ones upon our own tis rather a judgment than a narration of history there are in it more precepts than stories it is not a book to read tis a book to study and learn tis full of sententious opinions right or wrong tis a nursery of ethic and politic discourses for the use and ornament of those who have any place in the government of the world he always argues by strong and solid reasons after a pointed and subtle manner according to the affected style of that age which was so in love with an inflated manner that where point and subtlety were wanting in things it supplied these with lofty and swelling words tis not much unlike the style of seneca 
i look upon tacitus as more sinewy and seneca as more sharp his pen seems most proper for a troubled and sick state as ours at present is you would often say that he paints and pinches us they who doubt his good faith sufficiently accuse themselves of being his enemy upon some other account his opinions are sound and lean to the right side in the roman affairs and yet i am angry at him for judging more severely of pompey than consists with the opinion of those worthy men who lived in the same time and had dealings with him and to have reputed him on a par with marius and scylla excepting that he was more close other writers have not acquitted his intention in the government of affairs from ambition and revenge and even his friends were afraid that victory would have transported him beyond the bounds of reason but not to so immeasurable a degree as theirs nothing in his life threatened such express cruelty and tyranny neither ought we to set suspicion against evidence and therefore i do not believe plutarch in this matter that his narrations were genuine and straightforward may perhaps be argued from this very thing that they do not always apply to the conclusions of his judgments which he follows according to the bias he has taken very often beyond the matter he presents us withal which he has not deigned to alter in the least degree he needs no excuse for having approved the religion of his time according as the laws enjoined and to have been ignorant of the true this was his misfortune not his fault i have principally considered his judgment and am not very well satisfied therewith throughout as these words in the letter that tiberius old and sick sent to the senate what shall i write to you sirs or how should i write to you or what should i not write to you at this time may the gods and goddesses lay a worse punishment upon me than i am every day tormented with if i know i do not see why he should so positively apply them to a sharp remorse that tormented the conscience of tiberius at least when i was in the same condition i perceived no such thing and this also seemed to me a little mean in him that having to say that he had borne an honourable office in rome he excuses himself that he does not say it out of ostentation this seems i say mean for such a soul as his for not to speak roundly of a man's self implies some want of courage a man of solid and lofty judgment who judges soundly and surely makes use of his own example upon all occasions as well as those of others 
and gives evidence as freely of himself as of a third person. We are to pass by these common rules of civility in favor of truth and liberty. I dare not only speak of myself, but to speak only of myself. When I write of anything else, I miss my way and wander from my subject. I am not so indiscreetly enamored of myself, so wholly mixed up with and bound to myself, that I cannot distinguish and consider myself apart, as I do a neighbor or a tree. Tis equally a fault not to discern how far a man's worth extends, and to say more than a man discovers in himself. We owe more love to God than to ourselves, and know him less, and yet speak of him as much as we will. If the writings of Tacitus indicate anything true of his qualities, he was a great personage, upright and bold, not of a superstitious, but of a philosophical and generous virtue. One may think him bold in his relations, as where he tells us that a soldier carrying a burden of wood, his hands were so frozen and so stuck to the load that they there remained, closed and dead, being severed from his arms. I always in such things bow to the authority of so great witnesses. What also he says that Vespasian, by the favor of the god Serapis, cured a blind woman at Alexandria by anointing her eyes with his spittle, and I know not what other miracle. He says by the example and duty of all his good historians. They record all events of importance, and amongst public incidents are the popular rumors and opinions. Tis their part to relate common beliefs, not to regulate them. That part concerns divines and philosophers, directors of consciences, and therefore it was that this companion of his, and a great man like himself, very wisely said, Equidem plura transcribo, quam credo, nam nec affirmare sustineo de quibus dubito, nec subducere quae acepi. Truly, I set down more things than I believe, for I can neither affirm things whereof I doubt, nor suppress what I have heard. Quintus Cortius, 9 and this other, Haec neque affirmare neque refellere operae pretium est, famae rerum standum est. Tis neither worth the while to affirm or to refute these things. We must stand to report. Livy, 1, Praefatio, and 8, 6 and writing in an age wherein the belief of prodigies began to decline, he says he would not, nevertheless, forbear to insert in his annals 
and to give a relation of things received by so many worthy men and with so great reverence of antiquity tis very well said let them deliver to us history more as they receive it than as they believe it i who am monarch of the matter whereof i treat and who am accountable to none do not nevertheless always believe myself i often hazard sallies of my own wit wherein i very much suspect myself and certain verbal quibbles at which i shake my ears but i let them go at a venture i see that others get reputation by such things tis not for me alone to judge i present myself standing and lying before and behind my right side and my left and in all my natural postures wits though equal in force are not always equal in taste and application this is what my memory presents to me in gross and with uncertainty enough all judgments in gross are weak and imperfect end of section 17